0: So that's where we're going to be, John chapter 11. We're going to be bouncing around it. We're at some point going to land in verse 17 and then kind of meander our way through there. But let me just say this before we jump into the message as you're flipping in your Bible if you're, if you're really about Jesus or scrolling if you're a millennial. And um, I, I just want to say that I feel like God has something powerful prepared for us this morning Because I don't think we all came into this place just trying to check the church box off on our weekly to-do list. And even if that's how you got here, I still think God has something powerful prepared for us. Because here's the thing, I know what it's like where your wife just kind of drags you and the kids here. Or or maybe you really do want to be here, but there's just something going on at work. There's a mess at home or work or somewhere in your life wreaking havoc on your mind Just, it's this mess that's making everything muddy, making it difficult to see what God is doing in your life right now. And I am just telling you, I don't know how you got here. I don't know how you're watching online, but I believe that God got you here by any means necessary so that he could send you out differently than how you came in. And the good thing about What we have going on right here is that God's already in this place, but I want to pray right now for him to just break some of these strongholds that we got going on in our lives that are distracting us from being open to everything that he's going to do in our time together. So would you just pray with me really quickly? Well, Lord, uh, nothing I say has any power. It, It just doesn't. But your word has all the power and then some. And God, I'm just praying right now that nothing I would say would be the focal point of what's going on. Just rid any of that that's about to come out of my mouth. Let this just be about glorifying the name of your son. Lord, I pray for the people that are in this place right now. There's so much that goes on in the everyday of our lives. And Lord, I don't know if, if we got sick, sick kids in here. I don't know if we got sick parents or family members. I don't know if there's something at work or at home that's just keeping us from being able to hear you today. But God, whatever that is, get that out of here. Uh, just, just allow us to put that out of our minds and our hearts for a moment as we just come into this time of worship by reading your word and hearing what it is that you have for us. Lord, allow us to just approach you in a way that would be different than maybe what we've been going through over these past few months that have made it difficult on us to come to you, Jesus. And so, Lord, meet us here. Uh, and, Lord, we know you are here. And just break whatever is keeping us from being able to hear you so so powerfully. Lord, we just we love you. We praise you, and we thank you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, it's been brought to my attention recently that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are cows, and there are buffaloes, and neither of those sound particularly appealing, and, and, and for the men in the room in particular, I wouldn't recommend going around and labeling uh, women as either, mostly the cows, but... Uh, the, the thing about that, it's not like a buffalo is like a major upgrade, you know what I mean? It's like a cow that's on CrossFit a few times. And, and here's the thing, though, when I'm talking about cows and buffaloes, it doesn't have anything to do with the way they look on the outside. It has everything to do with their mindset on the inside. So I read this article by a guy, a writer uh, named Rory Vaden, and he writes for... Uh, He's like a New York Times bestseller, all that stuff. So he's good at what he does. And he wrote this article that I read, and he was talking about how he grew up in Colorado. And in Colorado, he grew up in a particular part of the state where cows and buffaloes were in close proximity with one another, so it was really easy to contrast behaviors. And he was talking about how anytime storms would roll in from the west over the mountains, cows and buffaloes had very different reactions To that storm. So, whenever cows would see a storm coming, they would just kind of hunker down and, and just passively wait for that storm to pass over them as it just punishes them, right? Or they would try to outrun it when they saw it coming, and cows aren't necessarily the most aerodynamic thing ever, and so inevitably, this storm catches up to them, and in their own kind of, uh, let's say, idiocy, they're running with the storm, and it's just prolonging their pain, prolonging their punishment, and making things more chaotic and messy in their lives than it really needs to be. Now, buffaloes, on the other hand, had a very different mindset whenever the storm would come. It would roll in over those mountains from the west, and as soon as the storm got close to where they were, they would run in to the heart of the storm. Now that sounds like really heroic and, and like amazing and crazy. It's like, all right, so, so what do we do with that? Well, here's the thing. Running into the storm didn't change the strength of the storm. It didn't change the pain that it inflicted on the buffalo, but it allowed it to break through to the other side quicker and into the peace that was waiting for them on the other side of that mess, on the other side of that storm. And I don't tell you that because I'm hoping that you'll feel like a little bit of a better walking version of National Geographic, but I'm telling you that because I want to talk about waiting on God and responding to him in the messiest moments of our lives. I want to talk to us about how we find ourselves typically when we're waiting on God, right? I think we all know this, that we're not waiting on God or we don't go into conversation saying, hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm waiting on God. And it's not like fantastic conditions, like, typically, there's something we're frustrated about. There's something going on that is less than ideal in our lives. And so we'll find ourselves in this storm, in the muck and the messiness of life. And if we're in that, we'll feel like things are just really painful, things are really exhausting or if it's not quite there but you see the inevitability of this storm coming your way, it creates a lot of anxiety and it creates a lot of frustration. And so I'm like, how do we tweeze that out? How do we get through these emotions and into what it is that God is trying to do in the middle of that? How do we work through these feelings? And I think there's an old, there's an old adage, an old saying that we've all probably heard, and it says, good things come to those who wait. And I don't think that's true. It's partly true. But I think we have to make a small amendment to it, an addition. I think good things come to those who wait actively. So many of us find ourselves praying and waiting on God, but we feel like while we're waiting in the middle of a mess, we can't move forward in relationship with God. So we'll passively wait for storms to pass over us, or we'll try to outrun the mess, right? But really, we should be charging into the heart of the mess, but we've bought into a cultural lie and this misunderstanding. This misunderstanding of God. We feel like God sends storms to punish us based on our imperfect performance as humans rather than be with us as we go into the midst of the storm, in the midst of the mess, based on his perfect performance on the cross. And we feel like God's just up there kind of waiting around for us to get our act together and he's just kind of sending storms and the troops in to kind of spank us a little bit until we get our act together. And it's kind of, it's affecting the way that we're responding to God, so we feel like our marriage is on the rocks, and we're not going to start praying again because we feel like it's too broken. We don't want to come together and pray right now. I don't even like them right now, right? Right? Like like we need to wait a week after we've been watching pornography or something before we go to the scriptures. We feel like there's no possible way that we can get any kind of validation from God. We got to go to like Instagram or online to search for the validation that we should be getting from our Heavenly Father. So we're going online for fake love over real relationship. Or maybe we feel like we're carrying... Anxiety, frustration, insecurity, and we think, oh, I got to get this right right now before I go to the cross with it. When really, we should be actively running into the messiness of life because we know if you are in Christ, you're not running in your own strength, you're running by His grace that strengthens us to run with endurance and with a peace that surpasses all understanding. So I would say run into the messiness or the storms that you see coming in your life. Pray when things feel broken with your spouse. Run to the scriptures and not to shame in a battle with pornography. Go to God for validation rather than to people and do all of these things. No knowing that the messes that we feel like are keeping us from going to God and going deeper into relationship and intimacy with him, the cross already conquered those. But they're keeping us from responding to him. And so I would say to you, I would submit, even in the messiest moments of life, even on our worst days, we need him as badly as we do on our best. We always need him. But those messy waiting moments of life are the perfect miracle-making fertilizer that God loves to work in. You know, as I thought about waiting on God in the middle of the messiness of life, the immediate thought I had was Martha in John chapter 11. And when you look at Martha, you, you know, she's a part of a family that Jesus is really close with, that Jesus loves. The, the scriptures tell us that early in John chapter 11. And, and Martha's sisters, they're kind of like, they're like church famous, right? They're like scripture famous. You got Mary who appears in the gospels and you've got Lazarus and This particular chapter of scripture is probably the most well-known of them all, because even if you're not a believer and you're in here, you probably know this story. And and if you don't, like, this movie's thousands of years old, so, like, spoiler alert, but uh, this is where Jesus miraculously raises Lazarus from the dead, in case you didn't know that, but... If we really look at this, it's so easy as people that just kind of do this and go to church. And we just kind of fast forward from the mess straight on through to the miracle. But if you really slow this down and look at it, what you see is that Martha is at the center of this mess. And there's so much that we can learn from this powerful woman in the scriptures As a close family friend, you would think Jesus rushes to Lazarus' side as he's dying, but he doesn't. Mary and Martha send a messenger to Jesus, and they're like, Hey, uh, Jesus, the friend that you love a lot, our brother, he's dying. It's bad. And Jesus is like, I'm going to wait, because this illness does not lead to death. And it's kind of like this what-gives-Jesus moment, right? Like We're we're like, why aren't you running to his side? And I don't know where your faith is this morning. I don't know if you feel like you're in this waterfall of faith and everything is just amazing and things are coming up as sunshine and butterflies and rainbows in your world or if you feel like you're in the midst of a drought and nothing is seemingly going right. I don't know if you've been waiting on something for two days or for two decades. I don't know what the mess in your life is. But I do know this, that just because we can't see what God's doing, it doesn't mean God isn't working. And what seems like a delay in our lives is often a divine appointment waiting to happen happen see the good news of the gospel is not that we won't have bad things happen to us or we won't have to wait or we won't be frustrated the good news of the gospel is that all of those things have a greater meaning that are woven into the tapestry of God's story that we are absolutely allowed to partake in by the grace of God but the question I have for us is how do we respond to God in the midst of the mess because if I'm if I'm being completely honest with you sometimes I look at my part in that story and I'm like I don't want to play anymore I don't want to do it. And so you look at Martha, and the first thing we learn from Martha's story and the mess that she's in is she approaches God honestly. Look at John eleven seventeen with me and really pay attention to Martha as we read through the scriptures this morning. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So, so when Martha hears Jesus is coming, what does she do? Does she hunker down and wait or try to outrun him and just be like, I don't want anything to do with him? No, she runs and she goes to meet him, which is strange a little bit. Because she's been waiting on Jesus, she had sent a messenger to him, that messenger came back and was like, hey, I don't, like, he just kind of was like, hey, this doesn't lead to death, I don't know, sorry. Like, so you would think she's got every reason to kind of be like, I don't want anything to do with you, but she runs to meet him. Why? Because she knows that he cares for her. And some of us need to stop and realize that right now, that God knows you deeply, personally, and loves you profoundly. Because if you just were able to dwell on that reality for a moment, it would not only change the way that you approach God, but for some of us, it would change the way that we maybe will start approaching him for the very first time or for the first time in years. You know, I have this, I have this memory as a kid. I walked into a Target With my parents and somewhere along the way I got separated from my parents you know it's like it's you know kids like now kids have like leashes we didn't have those and so uh, I was off my leash and running around the electronics aisle like looking for something and of course as I'm a kid I found something that I wanted and so I go back and I see what I thought was mom and dad in the aisle a lady had, had blonde hair, she was tall like my mother, and so I went up to her pant leg and tugged on it, and in this, remember, I'm a kid, this woman, this strange woman looks down at me like, who are you? And I look up at her, and I'm like, who are you, you know? Like, I'm, I'm panicking, and so I, like, sprint away, and I'm going up and down the aisles, and when I see my parents, I mean, I'm sprinting to them like I'm being chased by a lion. Why? Because I know those are the people that know me deeply, personally, and love me profoundly. Those are the people that care for me. I'm running straight into their arms. And that's what Martha does right here. She knows that Jesus is coming to her in the middle of the messiest moment of her life. She is bereaved, but she knows that Jesus cares. She has no clue what direction he's about to take this mess in her life. But she knows that God's delay in answering doesn't mean that he's indifferent to the pain that she's enduring or the struggle that she's encountered. So she runs into his arms and brings her mess to him. But how many of us have been indoctrinated into this thinking that when we're in the midst of a messy moment of our life, that's the last thing we do. But if we knew the character of our loving father, I think we would come to recognize that we don't keep messes from him. We bring messes to him. The message of Jesus is not, oh, no, I'm in a mess. I got to hide this before my dad finds out. The message of Jesus is, oh, my gosh, I'm in a mess. I need to call my dad. Because of what Jesus did when he brought us into the family of God, we can do as Hebrews 4.16 says, we can draw confidently to the throne of grace and mercy to find grace and mercy in our time of need, or I would even submit to you today, in our time of waiting. Martha sees Jesus in the aisle next to her, and she runs to him. Why? She knows. He loves me deeply, personally, and profoundly, he knows me, and he's not indifferent to my pain and my struggle. Now, is this the direction she saw her life going? Brother dies a little bit earlier than she thought? Absolutely not. I highly doubt it. But she trusts him. And because of that, she doesn't just approach him. She approaches him honestly. She says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, I mean, you, you weren't. But if you had been, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha's been waiting on Jesus, and in her estimation, he's late, and specifically, he's four days late, but she doesn't mince her words. She, she's direct, but she's not disrespectful, and I think a lot of us, we don't go to God because we feel like the more reverent thing to do for his name is to, is to not just be honest in what we're saying to him. We're, being too direct is being too, like, just not honoring of God, and that's not the case at all that we see here from Martha she, she shows her grief and frustration when she says, if you had been here, God, you weren't, but if you had been. But she also conveys her confidence in who Jesus is. She addresses him as Lord. She says, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on in my life. But if you had been here, I know, this is her confidence, I know that if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know now, even God will give you what you ask and I think we can all relate to that. If I'm being honest, I think we can all relate where we've all had moments where God showed up late, where we just go, God, where were you? Well, where were you? I needed you then, and you weren't, you weren't there. And we've not only been frustrated with the mess that we created or, or that was created that we had to endure, but we've also honestly been frustrated with God. But let me just encourage you. Martha shows us here that faith and frustration are not mutually exclusive, Sometimes we pray these prayers that aren't very real and just aren't actually how we feel because we don't want to sound frustrated with God. Like somewhere along the line, when it came to us, he like lost sovereignty or something. Like he doesn't already know what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. God isn't afraid of specific, honest, and ugly prayers. That gives him more glory to answer those. But we often find ourselves praying around pretty lies instead of praying straight on through ugly truths. I think it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll talk to so many young men, right? And, and their prayers are just so not on the caliber of the struggle that they're dealing with. They'll be in an all-out war with pornography, and their prayer is like, God, I'm just I'm struggling a little bit with lust, and I just, I, just a, a teensy bit, if you could just sprinkle some Jesus dust over my small lust problem. It's like, no, you're in an all-out battle Or we'll have people that are, their marriage is almost on the rocks and they're coming to me and I'm like, I haven't been married very long, why are you coming to me? But you're here and so let's just talk about it and as we're talking about it, I'm like, Your marriage is on the rocks. And they're just going, Yeah, man, I'm like, I'm praying for her to get her stuff together. I don't know what's wrong with her, but like, she, I mean, something went off with her. And I'm like, Or worse than that, it's just altogether like, I just, I'm not praying about this because I just, I don't feel like I can. And that's not the right answer. We got to be specific, honest, and ugly with God there. We don't have to pray more put together than we feel. Is that not the most freeing thing ever? We spend so much time praying these praying these prayers, like, acting like these characters that God didn't create, rather than crying out in the struggles of our reality, we can approach him, and we can approach him honestly. He's in the mess with us, and he knows that we're waiting on him, which brings us to this point. We can bank on God. Second point, bank on God. And banking on God comes down to this. Do we believe Jesus is who he says he is? Really? Because Martha does. She calls him Lord and knows God will give, her, give him whatever he asks, but she still doesn't understand the full authority of Jesus' power, because she says, Lord, if you had been here, now, Jesus doesn't have to be there. His presence does not have to be what predicates a miracle. He, he's been healing people just by speaking the word. He says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. The centurion's servant has been healed even death and distance have no authority over the living word of God. And we see this when you look at verses 23 through 27. Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will at some point in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says, no, I- I'm the resurrection and the life. Apart from me, there is no resurrection in life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes... Shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, that's coming into the world. And, and you see this from Martha, and you see this in our own lives where you, you have the right idea. You believe in God, but not like the full authority of jesus christ jesus says your brother's gonna rise again and martha's like he will at some point point." and jesus is like no i'm telling you i'm the resurrection in the life what i mean if that's how you're if that's the way you believe what you're about to see is gonna blow your mind i'm telling you that's what jesus is saying here he's saying do you believe in me in this and i love that his question is do you believe because we make coming to god so complicated sometimes I think the American version of what we hear is, will you beg of God instead of will you believe in God? Will you beg of him? And when I say beg, I don't mean the frequency with which we pray. I'm not saying, yeah, just, just pray one time and believe that prayer. No, ask, seek, and knock. Pray ceas- ceaselessly, endlessly in everything that you're doing. But there's a doubt that's associated with, with this begging of God. Like God's not going to do something that any good father would do. Like, your kids, they might beg you for food, but they don't beg you for food with the idea that there's an option on the table where, like, they really might not feed me. I, they, might, they really might not. I need to keep begging. Mom, will you feed me? Dad, will you feed me? And you just being like, uh, no, not tonight. I really don't feel like it. Uh, I mean, you might not feel like it, but you're not going to not do it. They, they know you always do. Now, are you going to give them everything they want? Absolutely not. Are you going to give them what they want when they want? Absolutely not. But you're going to give them what they need when they need it because you're their parents and you know what's best for them. And that's believing in God, having an expectation. He's going to answer, will I believe in him? Will I trust him regardless of what that answer is? And even as I say that, I got to tell you, that, that pains me to say that. Because I know I've gone through some things in my life, I've got some friends that have gone through worse things in their lives, and I know you've got some things you've gone through in your lives where, if we're just being honest, that, that answer God gave is what drove you from God. That answer that you got from God made you feel like, I don't want to go to church, I don't, I don't, I don't want to walk with him anymore. I've met so many people that are like, I, I believed in God, I used to go to church, and then X happened. And I read this quote from Tim Keller that helped me so much with this. It just brought me so much peace. And he said this, When we say, I can't believe in a God who would blank, what we're really saying is we don't want a God beyond our comprehension. And a God beyond our comprehension is not God. It's human. We want something human. We can wait on God in the midst of the messiness of life if we believe in him. Which begs the question, Do we believe in him? Why should I trust him? Why should I believe in him? And here's the thing, I cannot speak for you, but I can speak for me, so I will speak for me. I believe in God because my God has skin in the game in the form of Jesus Christ. I, I believe in my God because even though I don't understand everything that he does, I can't comprehend all of the mysteries and the greatness of God, but here's what I do comprehend, that God sent his son down for me and in the midst of the messiness of my life the same hands that are working in the messiness of my life are the same hands that stretched out on the mess of the cross to save my life and so I can trust that God is working for my good and his glory as a result of the salvation that he has secured for me and that brings us to our last point we have to choose to see God's glory you fast forward a little bit in the scriptures in John 11, and you come to this mess where Jesus, Mary, and Martha, in verse 38, they're all, they're all walking to the tomb, and I mean, this is like not just crying, right? Like you've got all the spectators with them, and everyone is just a mess, and like some people cry all pretty, you know, and it's not like that, it's like the ugly snot all the cries, you know, it says in John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept, and it's hard to fathom that, but that's where we're at, and it says this in the scriptures, and watch, watch Martha's reaction. Jesus came deeply moved again to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away that stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, uh, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So, so they go to the tomb, and, and everyone that is there probably thinks, oh, we're going to the grave to mourn. That's what, we're, we're all just going to go cry together. And Jesus says, move the stone. And Martha's like, ah, mm, mm. No, no, you know what, I'm, like, I'm a big fan. Uh, I just don't know about because like the thing, the thing about that is uh, it's been like four days, so and this is Israel. It's a little hot. So I, I don't you know what I mean? Like just two and two. Don't make me spell it out, but decomposing, you know what I mean? And, and Jesus is like w- w- wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we know Jesus has healed people before. He's healed the dead before, but they've typically been dead for a day or less. It's significant that Lazarus is dead four days. Because what the scriptures don't tell us is that at this time, there's a lot of Jewish mysticism being taught in this area of of the world. And so a lot of people are under the belief that after you died, your soul would hover above your body for three days and then it would depart. And at that point, your body would start to decompose. So everybody at the tomb would have heard this and know uh, the stone rolling away situation. Jesus, he's not like dead He's like dead, dead, like for real dead. So that's a bad idea. And Jesus is like, did I not tell you? Do you want to see the glory of God? Do you want to see me move? And it's significant because the people would know when Lazarus came out of that thing and he's not decomposing, he doesn't look like a zombie, he's completely whole, he's completely healthy, there would be absolutely no explanation for that. It's not like a, oh, well maybe they weren't really dead because it's been less than a day, or no, people would go, he's supposed to be like body rotting, and Jesus says he's completely whole, completely healthy, and people go, oh yeah, that's the son of God. That's the son of God, if he can do that. And I think we've all done what Martha does many times in our own lives. We, we want to see God move. We want to see the glory of God and move in the messiness of life. But not like that. Not that part. You want to roll the stone? Don't think so, man. It's going to smell. We, we want you to provide that job, God, but not ah, not that job. Ah, I'm, I've been unemployed for six months, and I'm praying for a job. But I've got to turn that third job down because that's not the one I wanted. Or, or we can be praying about our marriage. God, move in our marriage. Move in the messiness of this situation. Bring us back to reconciliation with one another under your grace and your love. And God's like, okay, son, here's the deal. I need you to go apologize to your wife for the way that you've been acting. And that's when we go, I, I, this, this is good. Uh, but let's reverse. She to me. She apologizes to me. And then we'll reconcile. We, we don't want it to be like that. But here's the thing. Choosing to follow God's way is choosing to see God's glory, and choosing to see God's glory is trusting his way, even if it's not what we had anticipated or hoped for. Even as we wait, but will we allow Jesus into every area of our life, into our mess, I can't be who God has called me to be if I only surrender parts of me. We have to give him everything. And here's the good news for us. God's glory has never met an odor that's stronger than the fragrance of heaven. Don't doubt what he's doing because things are heading in a different direction than you saw it going. There is so much more going on than we can see. But if we only travel roads that feel safe that God has gone before, then we're never going to get where God's calling us to go. He sees the entire path and we we have to be able to trust that he knows what's best for us as our father. And as you're waiting in the messiness of life, can I just tell you something? You are not called to stay in that tomb of self-doubt, of fear or regret or shame or insecurity. He is rolling the stone away on your life saying, I want all of you, I'm stepping into the tomb, into the mess, and I'm calling you out, not in a bad way, but to walk deeper into intimacy with me. I know that hurt, but I'm telling you, there's double healing where you feel like that hurt really got you i've got more for you than you can imagine but will you let go will you allow me to step into the tomb will you roll the stone away psalm 27 14 says wait for the lord be strong and let your heart take courage wait for the lord but we struggle with that middle part we struggle to take courage despite the fact that jesus in john 16 says i have told you these things that you may have peace in me you'll have suffering in this world be courageous i conquered the world Our hope and confidence as we leave from this place is not moved by the messiness of life or the uncertainty of storms. It's found in the unshakable hope and confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. No matter what we've endured or encountered, no matter what we've been waiting on, we can leave here knowing that when we were dead in our sins, I mean, God's moving. If he, if he took us from dead in our sins to alive in Christ, we can know that Jesus brought us into the family of God, that he washed us completely and totally clean by his blood. There is nothing you can bring to the cross that's going to make heaven shake. Nothing you've been waiting on is too big. Nothing that you've done or endured is too dirty for the blood of Jesus to wash you completely and totally clean. God's never been afraid of a mess. And can I tell you the best news you're gonna hear is he's not about to start with yours. He's not about to start with yours. And so I wanna pray for us. I don't, I don't know what it is that people are dealing with, but I'll tell you what, I mean, I got a million things that I could just unpack on y'all, but we're not gonna do that today. I wanna pray for you and whatever it is, that you're afraid of, that you feel like you're waiting on God and that you're waiting for him to move in the midst of. Lord, I just pray for these people right now. I I, I don't know what it is, but I know there's always something. There's always something. And God, I just pray that we would lean on you that we would allow you to be who you are, to be the Lord of our life, Lord, as we're as we're walking with you and, and we're enduring things and struggling with things, as we see storms coming and they're inevitable and we feel like all these things are coming against us and it's overwhelming, God, let us know that we are overcomers in you, that we're more than conquerors in you, that we can allow you in the every area of our life because you're not someone that's just waiting to, to just get us in trouble for things that we do or don't do, but you're a loving Father who will discipline us to correct us out of your love for us, not out of your disdain for what we've done and who we are. We are new in you. And Lord, I pray right now that people would know that they can approach you honestly, they can believe in you, they can bank on you, and that your glory will not be darkened. You will shine bright through whatever it is that they're dealing with, God, for their good and your glory. So Lord, as we leave this place, just give us new hope, new confidence, passion, and belief in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who met us in our mess, washed us clean, and brought us into the family of God. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.